Hi, I'm Palma Polisel. I'm a solo parent, dog lover, and a member of the widowed community, a club no one wants to join. Following the loss of my spouse, I felt compelled to help others navigate widowhood and find a fulfilling life after loss. I invite you to spend time with me as I am joined by a variety of guests, including widows, widowers, and professional experts. To name a few topics, we will be discussing grief, loneliness, dating, solo parenting, and self-care. We will also discuss finances with topics like dealing with debt, insurance, estates, and building an emergency fund. I believe that resolving financial issues is essential to improving the journey through grief. Together, with both knowledge and empowerment, we will learn how to move forward and navigate this new normal. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm good, Palma. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. So I heard that you did something this weekend. You went to look at... <laughs> I did a lot of stuff this weekend. Oh, okay. where, do well, want, where do we want to start? Oh my gosh. No, 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 no. I wasn't going there at all. Um, you went to look at places, didn't you? I did. I went to look for condominiums. I know. I've told you this before. I've gone through the whole cycle. I've gone from not moving to building to selling and finding a smaller home, going to a condo, and then moving right back to where I started, whereby I'm not moving anywhere. <laughs> Anyhow, I got, I, got, I got the bug this weekend that I, maybe I should be looking at condominiums. Uh, they're easy to maintain. They can be in very good locations. So I figured I'd take a look. I went to take a look at a few of them in the eastern part and the western part of the downtown core. So not mm -hmm. right down on Young Street and front, but either to the east and to the west, right on the lake. Mm -hmm. Beautiful locations, beautiful condominiums. So it's it's back on my it's back on the radar. So for, the for radar. listeners that don't know what Richard is referring to is Young Street is a very busy street in the city. So you really, unless you love noise, and a lot of people, you wouldn't uh -oh. really, you wouldn't really look there. So that leads us actually to, I can't even believe you're doing this. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't. I, I actually, um, I'm starting to fall in love with them. Actually, I, I like them a lot. They're, they're so easy to maintain. You just shut the door, lock the door, whatever, and you're gone. No grass, no snow, no maintenance. Okay. I get it. I get it, but what Why? about the noise? What noise? The noise, <laughs> the people walking by in the hallway. Ah. People that share a wall with you, people that live upstairs. If you're not in the penthouse, then you have people walking above you at all hours of the day or night. What about that? <laughs> I I don't know. I, I Mary and I lived actually in a condo for three years when we first got married, and that was an issue. So the, the owners upstairs would walk with shoes on and, and the the heels of the shoe would make like a little noise like a normal and, sound <laughs> like a normal heel sound yes and that bothered know. me a bit too but other than that it it was really i love the what about groceries do. what about groceries you have to take the elevator up arms full of bags of groceries yeah true you do but then again i don't have a garage where I could bring the car in where I am now. So my car is on the driveway. I have to unload the truck <laughs> car, take it out of the trunk, bring it up, bring it through the garage up into my kitchen. It's that's almost, one, that's it's one almost, flight of stairs. I've been to your house. Yeah, but it's not easy. 
It's, like, mm, I don't know. It's I guess not if, hard. You had to, if you had to wait for an elevator for 10 minutes or whatever, even five minutes waiting for an annoying. elevator. That would, would be, be annoying. Yeah. Well, what I about, could take, take the stairs. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, yeah I guess that's I good guess, exercise. Yeah. For me, I always have a dog. The thought of yeah, getting well, out. They're allowed to have most. Most condos. Oh, have, of course. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, Toronto's dog friendly, so yeah. you actually there so, there are no there condos that don't accept dogs. But I would have to take that dog out early in the morning or late at night in the middle of winter. No, but no, don't thank you, you do that now? No, I open the door and out he goes. <laughs> well, he's not here anymore. Poor, poor Simcoe's no longer so with us. You just open the door and he he does his business. In if the it's backyard. really early in the morning, obviously uh -huh. I walk uh -huh. him during the day. But if right. it's really early in the morning or late at night, no. Well, could you train it to kind of do its stuff on the balcony? Have you? Wait. You, I don't, I've never had a dog. Oh, I but... had, you know, I had a golden retriever. Yeah, yeah. So you that wouldn't do it on the balcony. stuff would mm -hmm. be... <laughs> enormous <laughs> let's <laughs> move to, on you'd have to clean up anyhow what about renting maybe we should just rent it oh, if, that yes. way if you don't like your tenant your neighbors you sort of move on okay you'll uh, have to give me info here because uh we are european in background canadian first of course but we don't rent we buy no i agree i don't like renting but if you sold a typical home in toronto say for a million dollars and that's even below the average but let's let's just use a million and you invested the money and let's say you bought a bank stock bank stocks are paying between 5 and 6 and a half percent today dividend income not including capital gains or capital losses so on a million dollars let's say you earned about $60,000 of dividend income I think you could probably pay for a half decent condo or apartment on, on the dividend or from the dividend income. So mm -hmm. if I bought a million dollar condo, what would I get in rent? What would I have to pay in rent? In Toronto? Yes. Probably between four and five, four on the very low end. Okay. So 4,000 would be $48,000 a year. 5,000 would be 60. So I could spend up to $5,000 a month and my dividend income would cover the rent. So what are you saving then? Well, then I still have a million dollars invested in mm, the stocks, true. right? So they could true. go up or down. And then if I didn't like the property because of what you just said, the noise and the parking and all that stuff, I could just pick up and- And go. Go back to my house. Yeah. I just thought of something also. <laughs> You're almost convincing me and this would do it. You're not paying as a renter taxes or maintenance oh, fees. Oh, gosh. The taxes are crazy. And the maintenance fees. The the repairs and maintenance fees of a house, and I think we underestimate that. We're all sort of happy that our houses have gone up in value, and they have, but not as much as you would think when you compare it to the cost of carrying that house. You know, you've got your utilities, you've got your property taxes. And then as you mentioned, repairs and maintenance are out of control. Mm -hmm. I put a new furnace in, it's a second furnace in 17 years. Like my dad had a furnace for 40 years. I, I don't, I don't no understand. No longer. They do a that on purpose. <laughs> two furnaces within, you know, 15, 16 years, 10 grand on furnace. Then the air conditioning is just about to go because that's also 15 years old. There's another 5,000. Mm, I just replaced my air conditioner. Yes, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. So how about a roof? A roof, a roof isn't $5,000 anymore. A normal roof can be... 
fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Okay, well, all right. You've I don't almost, know. almost had the Anyhow, convince. Not quite, not yet. Maybe by next week this time I'll be back to my other opportunities or or possibilities like either buying a house or staying where I am. Listeners, this podcast is number three in my series focusing on navigating the grief journey. Podcast number two was the stages of grief. Podcast number three was the role of therapy and mental health resources in the grief process. This podcast is going to be on grief triggers like anniversaries, holidays, places, music, special events like weddings. And then number five will be on how grief and financial concerns impact the well-being of widows and widowers. Richard, do you have any examples of grief triggers? Oh, plenty of plenty of grief triggers. Yes. Where do I start? Mm. I think, remember, we were during, I grieved, the worst part of the grief occurred during the pandemic and the lockdowns. So we, I didn't have an opportunity to go out for dinner. Uh, no one did, but that just sort of happened when, when the grief occurred. It, for me, there were two things that I'd like to share. One was cleaning out her closet or clearing out her closets. I did that, I think, three times. I still have her clothes in certain closets, which, by the way, kind of is an interesting thing that Mary had several closets in the house. I'm not I, surprised. <laughs> I thought she only had one, but it's not true. She had at least four. But anyhow, putting that aside, I started several times to give away her clothes, you know, bring them down, see if Christine wanted them or anybody else. And if not, I would donate them. I couldn't do it. I did a little bit and then would break down. So they were triggers for me. I found that that I could actually, and don't laugh, but I could actually... I could feel her through her scent. Her scent was still laughing. in her closet. I'm not laughing at all. I feel the same way. I still have a box of of a few of the special things from from yeah, Dave, can... and I I still feel the same way. Yeah, I did. The other thing that it really got me well, a very very big trigger was when I closed Mary's bank account. Well, it wasn't Mary's bank account. It was a joint bank account. So Mary and I had opened this particular bank account. I think weeks after we got married, like literally immediately after we got married. So we kept the bank account for 33 years. That was the the length of our marriage. And when I was closing it down, it was very, very emotional. And that tr I didn't even think that would be a trigger, but that was a trigger for me. And I had to go there twice because I forgot some of the paperwork. And again, probably because I was not thinking straight. But that those were two big triggers for me. And how about you? Did you have any? I had so many. So the house actually wasn't a trigger for me. I felt very comforted in the home that we shared. Uh, nothing triggered me in the house. What did eventually trigger me, though, was when I started dating. Uh -oh. And yes, and having that person come over and be in the same room, in particular the kitchen for some reason. Um, Dave loved to make pizza and was always helping. So to see that person in there and know that my family and my girls would see them in there and it almost looked like they were kind of taking over Dave's space. So that was a trigger for me. But then, I mean, he's he's still the person I'm with and he was very understanding when I when I told him. And uh, that all worked so out. You just got, you got him to stop doing it? I he did. didn't make pizzas? No. I thought, 
Couldn't you well, he doesn't stop make, something else? Like he doesn't maybe... make pizza anyway, but he cleans. <laughs> oh, he cleans. Don't don't stop him from doing that. I I I had to. I had to. I, it was even for my my mother and my mother in law to come over and see him. It would almost be like he was. That was his house in a sense, and I didn't want that. Yeah. So that that was a trigger, but I dealt with that trigger. The rest I avoided. Okay. So avoidance rather than <laughs> confronting them. Completely. Mm. I avoided them all. I He had a, a brand new SUV. I couldn't even sit in it. I tried it and uh-huh. uh, it, it just didn't work. So I sold that. <laughs> so what did you avoid? Just getting back to the avoidance. What did you avoid? What did I avoid in terms of restaurants and things like that? Yeah. Uh, like- all of them for the first few months. I, I was suffering so much that I thought, what is... What is the point of putting myself through more suffering if I can avoid them, if they're not that big a deal? Hmm. If I don't have to go to them. I knew that eventually I would be fine with them. And Did so you I avoid just... talking to the kids about Dave? No. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Me neither. I, I let them take, I took my cue from them. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't want to, and at, at that point, Megan didn't always want to talk about him. Mm-hmm. Not that she didn't want to, it made her sad. But as soon as I realized or, or I thought it was okay that they wanted to talk, we talked nonstop about him. Yeah. Couldn't watch videos, though. Yeah, that was I could, very yeah. difficult. Yeah, we haven't uh, done that yet either. Right. Like hearing his voice on a video or watching him, he was always laughing and joking. We just, that I couldn't do for years. Trips, I didn't, for some reason, I felt that I needed to stay close to home. So you mean a long uh, trip or like a long trip? A long no, trip. no. I sold the cottage. There we go. There's another one. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. I did. Wow. I, and that was up... Dave's cottage or like before you got married or was that? No, that you was bought ours. After? Yes. We bought oh. that in, in conjunction with a cousin of his. Uh, uh, so that was sold. And oh, I'm, I didn't walk the same route that I walked with him and the dog. So that didn't happen for a few years. I walked other ways. Again, we did finally take a a trip. We would go to Italy quite a bit because my in-laws had a house there. So we were in the habit of going quite often and I I just couldn't do it. So it was several years before I could go there. That was very difficult because I had to relive his death for all of his family and friends that were asking. I had to explain everything again and talk about it all again. So it was almost like when I went there, it was like day one. Mm. Wow. All over again. So that's how I managed my grief trigger. So in one word? Avoidance. avoidance. Okay. <laughs> but, and you? How did you manage your grief triggers? Most of mine was avoidance as well because of the pandemic. But where I wasn't restricted because of the pandemic, I did just jump right in. For example, I bought, as, as we've talked about before, I bought a condominium in Miami, in Miami Beach. Miami has a very special spot in all our hearts because we vacation there a lot, myself, the kids, Mary, and to have bought something there triggered a lot of grief, a lot of memories, places that we would go together, places that we ate, biked, walked. Uh, There were a lot of triggers in in Miami and and to a degree, they're still there even when I go there now. So I found that if I wasn't forced to avoid them, I I confronted them. And maybe not intentionally. I, I, would, I didn't say to myself, okay, I'm going to confront this particular 
trigger. I just did it. I didn't really think about it. You okay. did you do any of that? Did you have any that you other than avoidance? Did you do any where you just confronted and said, what the hell? I'm just going to do it. Well, there were some occasions where I had no choice, yeah, no choice. but yeah. we did. We tried to change even holidays. It, that first Christmas without him, instead of going to my mom's, which is tradition in our family, I have a very large family. We all gathered there. Um, we decided to go out for brunch or actually lunch, a late lunch. And my entire family came. So we tried to change things. So I think we all, we all somewhat oh. avoided it. I, I don't know. I rationalized it by telling myself that if I could avoid sadness in the first few months, I knew eventually I'd have to deal with them. And I knew that when my mind was ready to face them, I would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Different ways, I guess. Different approach. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing that did help me, I mentioned previously that I would have panic attacks and I actually talked to my doctor and he prescribed medication to help me with it. Mm -hmm. And it, it really did help. It just took the edge off right, for a short yeah. period, not for a very long time. Did you end up doing anything like that? Yeah, I have, I have a great skill of making things worse in my mm -hmm. mind. I have the ability to take a very small problem, ruminate on it for a long time, and turn it into a catastrophe. And as you can probably imagine, losing your spouse, I had a lot of time to do that. And so I couldn't break those negative cycles. And with medication and therapy, and we talked about CBT, cognitive behavior therapy last week, I was able to, as you said, take the edge off. But, and what I mean by that is, is allow me to just think about those thoughts before they ruminated into catastrophes. And mm -hmm. it prevented me from um, having panic panic attacks, and it also prevent and also helped me heal. I'm not recommending this to anybody, but it did work for me. Mm, myself and, as well. We're not yeah. advocating for medic medication for or against it, actually, really. No. You need to see your doctor and discuss it with them and decide what's best for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I heard something that really... I think angered me a little bit. The term, <laughs> I think, associated, associated with grief was just very strange. I heard that grief can be selfish. I, I, don't, I can't even define that. It, it really doesn't go together. Yeah, Do you I, think it can be? Well, I'll take the opposite view then. I, I think it can be. When you're grieving, what are you doing? You are thinking about how much you miss your husband or your wife and all the things that you did with them and all the things that you liked about him or her. And so are you not looking at it from your point of view? And wouldn't you say that that is a little selfish? Maybe you should be looking at it from Dave's point of view. You know, he would have loved to be there. He of would course. have loved to see the kids grow up. Of course. And so again, maybe we, maybe it is a little selfish. I, I don't agree. <laughs> Just the, the connotation of the word selfish and grief, it, I can't wrap my head around it. So we I, couldn't I, call it good selfishness. No, there is no good. No, I don't believe it's that it's like a good, good selfish. It's not like good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. I just know it's not the same thing. <laughs> I just don't believe grief can be selfish. We grieve because we love them enough to miss them. How is that selfish? Because we're not focusing on them. We're focusing on us. That's all I can think of at that <laughs> point, though. Really? Yeah, I agree. I, that's <laughs> all I could think about too. And I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like it either, but I have heard it and it, maybe it's, 
a term that people that have never lost someone very, very close has used. Yeah, right. But there's another term that I don't like associated with grief, and uh -oh. that's commercialism. And grief can be very commercial. There are so many parts of it, like the funeral, grief, uh, if you call it merchandise, grief merchandise, all of that. It's all really expensive. So it's become a business. Totally. It's the big difference with a funeral over a wedding is that when you are planning someone's funeral, you are doing it in a very distressed situation. And it can lead to people being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example. So, you know, you have to bury the person within a period of time and, you know, you bury them at a cemetery and you go to a funeral home or a cemetery and you buy the coffin and you do all the other things that are involved. Once we had chosen the coffin, the funeral director said, well, do you want to buy a coffin case? So a it's coffin a coffin case? Yeah. It's a concrete basic case where you drop the coffin inside the case and then you close the case. I do agree with you, though. You are in a state of shock if you're going to organize these things or, or do the purchases. And I think it plays on your emotions because you think you're going to show your love by how the amount you that you spend. Yeah, how much you love someone. And, and you may think even that family wants to see that. Family wants to see you spend that amount because, of course, the more you spend, the more you love them. Right. The more they were valuable in your right. life. So, so it's the biggest coffin you can get. Exactly. The most expensive. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult, very difficult to say no as you as you experienced. Yeah. Well, we actually said no flowers as well. And so there was... Um, flower industry is not going to like us. No, but they're I, not I like agree us. with you. Yeah. So we said no flowers. In lieu of flowers, make a donation to the Cancer Society. Yes. And most people followed that rule. They, they didn't bring flowers. I don't know if they made the contribution. Some people, we were notified for some people, but others, I don't know if they did or didn't. And, and I, I do notice uh, with, with some funerals that I've attended that they are doing that more and more, that a donation is requested. Rather than flowers. Rather than flowers. And did, did you find people actually follow that yes. suggestion? Yeah. Yes. Yes. At the last one in particular, the, the I, they, they were very adamant that if anything was going to be given, that it was going to be put to good use, like a donation. No donation instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm, definitely. What else was I thinking? Oh, I know what I was thinking. Social media is a big thing nowadays, for sure. It helped me a lot. I really felt that it brought me into a community that I really needed. I needed desperately at that point. And I learned a few things from it. For instance, I learned that some of the things that I was going through, which I thought, ah, it must just be me. I must be going crazy here. And I would realize, no, it's not just me. So that's what it gives me. I read a lot of books on grief. I found mm. that they were more helpful. Like, for example, okay, so you're going to have a grief trigger coming up next week or whatever. What are your coping strategies? Well, I don't think many of the social media sites provide that coping strategy. For me, I didn't really have a coping strategy and that was wrong. I should have had a coping strategy. So if we were going to go out for dinner or if we were going to go to a place where I knew there was going to be a trigger, I should have prepared for that. I should have said, okay, I'm going to use 
mindfulness. I'll focus in on my breathing. I'll focus in on the moment. I'll acknowledge the feeling that is in my body. Or maybe I'll bring a friend or I'll talk it, I'll talk it through mm-hmm. before I actually go there. Uh, I could have done that. I should have done that. I think that's what I would have, that's what I really, really needed during that point in time at that point. So that was one, that was one of your coping strategies was to um, go to social media and read up on how. All of them offered something, even if it was just not to feel alone. Yeah, that's, that they do. But didn't you feel that it was comparing a comparison, like who grieved more and who had a worse time? Well, I'm not saying I agreed with everything on them, Mm, but I took what I needed from them. So they were beneficial. We'll leave it at that. I'm not going to argue because I, I I can't say that there isn't anything useful online. I did find a lot of stuff that was online that was useful, but I also had to sort of dig through a lot of stuff that was not that helpful. Okay. All right. Disagree, but that's fine. Disagree. But what coping <laughs> strategies did you use, uh, Palma? Like I, I said, mindfulness. Did you do anything like that? If I knew I had no choice but to face a trigger, yeah. an event or, or such I would basically live in the moment. So I would go there, just even focus on a color or the name of the place. If it was a restaurant, I would just focus on small things that took my mind off it. That's how I dealt with things I had no choice but to uh, to face. Otherwise, yeah, I just avoided until my mind told me I was ready to face them. So did did you prepare for that? Like I didn't, but it's interesting. I think if I had to, I don't want to do it again, but if I could rewind the tape, I would say that was a very big hole in my strategy or my lack of strategy was a big hole. I didn't know how to face those triggers. I suppose I should have prepared. I didn't really think that far ahead. I mm-hmm. knew I had to go to the trigger or whatever it was. And right. it didn't happen often. Right. And um, I dealt with it when I arrived. So no, I didn't have a specific strategy. However, thinking back now, I know that there was a, a confirmation that I had to attend a communion. I have a lot of siblings and they all have children. So mm-hmm. I know that I went to these things and I would just, again, just try and think of myself there at that very moment, not think in the past, not think in the future. Well, that's, like- that's it basically mindfulness. You're you're focusing on the event rather than the implications of the event. What lesson have you learned through this podcast, Richard? Well, I think the biggest lesson, Palma, that I learned is that I think that triggers are helpful in the learning process, grief triggers. So although I didn't necessarily confront most of them, I think now in hindsight, it is important to confront them and to try to learn from them and to prepare, if you can, a coping strategy and then try to attend whatever you are trying not to attend. So I think you should, I think what they do is they make you more resilient. And by becoming more resilient, I think difficult times that you may face in the future are probably going to be a little bit less difficult because of the fact that you've become a little bit more resilient. So I think Grief triggers eventually as you heal, makes you more resilient. Hmm. How about you? Any lessons there? I guess along the same lines. uh, Of course, I was building resiliency all all through my grief journey, but I knew I was moving the right direction in my grief when I was able to face the triggers without sadness or anxiety. Mm -hmm. Right? I know the triggers no longer 
triggered me, so to speak. Uh, they just, uh, memories came flooding back and I was fine with them. So your recommendation is to postpone the triggers until you feel a little bit more healthy mentally or prepared. For, for me, that worked in the first, in, in the first several months, I just avoided what I could until I was mentally ready to deal with it. Okay. So I guess what I'm saying is, is kind of the Some opposite. Of the yes. Well, oh my <laughs> gosh. I think, I, think you could, I think you could punt them and see what you can learn from them. Okay. Yes. Now we can say bye. <laughs> All right. Bye, Richard. Bye, bye, Palma. Hey, listeners, for more insight, support, and resources related to widowhood, visit my website at mywidowedlife.com. That's where I expand on topics discussed on the podcast and apply them to the unique circumstances of widows and widowers. I also invite you to join the My Widowed Life Facebook group, a group that welcomes everyone, regardless of when you lost your loved one. This is a safe, non-judgmental space where you can like, comment, and post in an environment where everyone gets it. Please see the show notes for contact details and links to the My Widowed Life website and Facebook group. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, take care.